also children's ministry. There's a flyer for that. If you're interested in getting involved in children's ministry as the church grows and we have four services, um, there's always those needs. And so just give us a call at the church office. You can talk to Celeste, who's the nursery director, or Heather, who's the children's ministry director, and they'll tell you the paperwork that needs to be done. And then also about the ministry, and we do um, rotating um, where we rotate the teachers in, so don't think I have to do that every service. One of the things, I just want to put this little bug in your ear, that the, one of the advantages, there's disadvantages and there's advantages of having multiple services on Sunday morning. And um, one of the advantages is that you can serve at one of the services and then go to another service and, and be there for the teaching if that works for you. So just a little bug to put in um, to... Uh, your mind as you pray about those things. Be praying for the children's ministry because as I mentioned on Sunday, it's a very high priority here at Calvary Chapel that we minister to your kids. It's, it's a blessing to have your children here and we want to love them and give them uh, the word of God in, you know, their in, uh, you know, level and for where they're excited about coming. And I love just, I stand at the door by the steps and I watch your kids come in and they're excited to be here and to get checked in, and um, to just learn into things of the Lord. And what a tremendous blessing that we have those, pray for those who are ministering to the kids. We have those who have been ministering to the kids for years, and uh, we want to make sure they have a safe environment, and uh, they are blessed by being here. So uh, it's a privilege to be able to minister to your children and to encourage you parents and grandparents in raising your children in the ways of the Lord. Uh, Young adults, uh, on Friday... 6.30, 6.30, lasagna with Lorna, and uh, there's these little flyers, and so talk to Jesse. Jesse was playing bass here with the youth band, and uh, so he'll answer any questions that you have, and he's made up these little flyers uh, for Friday, and so just grab one of those. We'll give him a call at the church here or talk to him after the service, and he'll be happy to answer any questions. We're very excited that Jesse is beginning to oversee this ministry of the and uh, with um, you know with the young adults in Cairo and on Friday nights. Uh, the normal time they meet is at seven o'clock. Is that right, Jesse? And uh, Jake Figs also helping with that as well. Just a tremendous blessing for the young adults. So get the word out. Get them here. Um, pick them up. Do something. Bring them here, and um, so they can be blessed and have fellowship. Uh, one of the things that, uh, another announcement, kind of a, uh, it is a sad announcement, uh, but I do ask for your prayers. I ask for special prayers for this fellowship, as many of you know that uh, Scott and Nancy Cox, Scott pastors Calvary Chapel in Windsor, um, his eldest son um, took his life uh, on Monday night, and uh, so we want to pray for them. They're very much hurting, and um, I've known Scott uh, for many years. Uh, since before he even came up to Windsor to plant the church there, to Calvary Chapel. And uh, so Christian, his eldest son, was only 19 years old and uh, been praying with Scott for years uh, concerning his son. And we get together and pray for families and uh, our children. And so just pray for Scott and Nancy. They're really hurting, obviously, and grieving. And um, they're going to be grieving for quite some time. Uh, so um, we want to do that tonight and pray for them. One of the things that does remind me, a couple things, as I was pondering this and um, thinking about this and talked to Scott and um, ministering to him, and I'm going to continue. A couple things. Um, I'm going to have to rearrange some appointments, so if that involves you, just be patient because um, I need to be there to minister and support and Nancy and, and Scott as much as I can over the next few days. And uh, so be patient with that. I, I'm pending like five or six weddings coming up. So doing a lot of premarital counseling and all that and, and juggling appointments and things like that coming up for this weekend. Uh, but we're going to have the Young Timothy's class. And uh, we want to continue to just love on our youth and minister to them. That's why I wanted you to say hi to some one of the youth going out. Isn't it a blessing to see all these kids that are here? And... Uh, one of the things that, um, that we all know is, is that it's very difficult for kids today. It's a lot different than when I was in high school uh, with all the social media and everything and, uh, you know, bullying and the things that they just face, the temptations. 
it is difficult and it is hard and we want to be a place there's two things that we can give them that the world can't give them that is God's love and God's truth right and I always always pray and I hope for this ministry and I, I know it is but it, I pray that it continues to be this that they know that this is a place that they're loved and that they can come to and whenever they're troubled, they can come and, and receive that love and godly counsel. And that there are people that are here to put their arms around them and, and minister to them and spend time with them. And we want to continue to do that. And my heart just breaks uh, when I hear about what our young people go through and the difficulties they go through. My heart breaks for so many families. It's not just them. It's all of us, right? And we feel the implications of it. And and we get concerned, and rightly so. So what my prayer is, is that it would be a place that they know that God is here and that God's people are here to care for them and to love on them, that we wouldn't get cynical about them and, uh, and that we would reach out to them. Uh, a healthy church is one that um, has you guys that are older. Uh, I should say more mature, all right? But you guys have wisdom. You guys have something to give to them. Don't ever forget that. One of the things, I was down in Aurora on um, Friday morning having breakfast with some of the pastors, and Bill, uh, Bill Welch from Calvary Chapel, Huntington Beach, he's been a pastor for over 30 years in the Calvary Chapels. I'd known him for many years. I haven't talked to him for a long, long time, for probably 20 years I haven't talked to him. But I know that he's a pastor that cares for others, and he just has that caring heart and takes time. And he takes time to really show that he does care for, for us as pastors and those of us who minister because he's been doing it for a long time. But he was telling me a story that really kind of um, resonated with me this week and thinking about all these things that I'm telling you. And um, forgive me if I'm just kind of, you know, I'm, I want to share my heart with you on this. Um, but he was telling me he grew up in the hippie movement and uh, in the 70s, and he got saved and came out a lot of stuff, you know, and, and you know, drugs and all of that. And um, after six, seven months as a Christian, he just felt like giving up, and he, I'm not good enough, and, and the struggles and the temptations. So he said he was there at Huntington Beach sitting on a bench just ready to just give up, and he had his, you know, shirt off, and... and all of a sudden, a shadow, he said, came you know, over him. He knew somebody was standing in front of him. He said it, it was an elderly man, very, very old, with a suit and a tie and a hat on. He said, young man, you're going to get a sunburn. And he said, Bill said he looked up and said something very rude to him. And that man said, you know what, young man? Jesus loves you and died for you. And he has a plan for you, for your life, and he wants to use you. And he said that was a turning point for him. It was a man that wasn't, you know, another young person or somebody cool or whatever. It, it was an elderly man that took the time to tell him that Jesus loves him and has a plan for him. And those of us who are older and wiser, and that's what the church needs that have journeyed with the Lord, we have something to give to the younger people, so we want to disciple them. We want to minister to them. We want to love them. And I'll tell you what, it's amazing what happens when you see your children and your grandchildren getting saved and others. There's life that is brought into this place. And, and to let them know we're glad that they're here. And, and as we do, it's, it's such a wonderful thing to see happen. And I'm blessed by all of you being here, but to be blessed that they're here and have a reason for them to be here. We don't have to try to entertain them in. Here's the thing about churches that try to entertain, and I'm not getting on a soapbox. We, the church, cannot out-entertain the world. We can't do it. And, and so not to entertain them in, not to hype them in, not to gimmick them in, but to bring them in to tell them the gospel. And tell them that God created them and loves them, has a plan for them, and desires to do wonderful things in their lives and to help them when they go through the struggles and difficulties and the temptations that are out there and the dark world that they are in. And that's for all of us, isn't it? That in these latter days, that you and I, that we would see that we have a privilege to minister to this generation 
That's why God has us here. And that we would pray for them and encourage them and that we as a church would pray for each other because it is dark days indeed. So we want to pray for, for our young people. We want to pray for Nancy and Scott. And I pray and hope that they would look at us and say, you know, those at Calvary Chapel Greeley really came alongside of us and prayed for us. And they sense that. And we would minister to them and, and pray for the pastors because they are a target from the enemy in these days. You see, there's one thing that I have very similar to you in my family. Two things. One is I love Jesus just like you do, okay? But my family isn't perfect just like your family isn't perfect. Please don't think that, you know, my kids or you know, pastor's kids sit at home with their hands folded and, you know, and everything's all nice and perfect. We're a target, and you're a target as well. And there is the struggles and the shortcomings and the failures that happen in our families. So we don't want to put unrealistic expectations on anybody. But to pray and to encourage and lift up. Maybe we be known for that. So, Father, I do pray. I pray for our young people. It's a blessing to come here on Wednesday night. And I know there's more that want to come. They're playing basketball and and involved in sports or in music programs, and they couldn't make it here. But to see as more and more are coming, they're bringing their friends. They're excited about being here. And I know that there's some of them that are hurting. They're going through real struggles, whether it's with relationships or with schoolwork or the pressures that are out there that come against them, temptation. It's something that we all face in life. But at such a young age, we, we look at it and we're concerned for, for them. And Lord, I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around them. That Lord, that you would help them be strong and courageous. And that Lord, that they would know that this is a place they're, they're loved and truth is going to be given to them. And Lord, that they're appreciated. And Father, that we would take the time to disciple them and grow them. Because I know that if you tarry, that as they get older, they're going to do the same thing to the next generation behind them. And so, Lord, may there be life that's taken place here. People coming to know you, coming to salvation through us one-on-one -on -one and individually and corporately reaching out to others and reaching out in our community to go into the workplaces and to the schools and just shared a love of Christ and, and made a love of Christ be evident in our lives. So, Lord, we just pray that you help us to keep a proper perspective, that we would keep priority Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, Lord, I pray that tonight, even as we study your word and we come to the communion table, that you would bless this time and touch our hearts. And, Lord, that they would grow tonight as even as they're being taught and and others with the children's ministry, Teresa, and, and others that are there with them teaching the kids, and Eileen, and, and, and Luke, and Ashley, and those that are in the nursery caring for those little ones. We thank you so much for them. And I pray, Lord, that you would raise up those to minister to our children, that you would raise up those who have that calling, that desires to just give to them, your truth, and to minister to them and invest in them. As parents, I pray that you'd help us to raise our children in the ways of the Lord, and that as grandparents as well, and that you would guide us and direct us, that our homes would be a sanctuary to where the Lord is spoken of and the praises of God are given. And Lord, I do pray that you give us wisdom and direction and courage, because it takes great courage these days to stand on the word of God and what is true. I pray that you touch our hearts right now as we study your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Psalm 106 is talking about the fickleness of God's people. You remember that last week in Psalm 105 that there was a history lesson that was given as the psalmist recounting the the, the history of the children of Israel, particularly the covenant that God gave with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. 
and recounts how that covenant was confirmed through Isaac and through Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, which, of course, were the patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph was his favorite son, and, and his brothers threw him into a pit and sold him off into slavery. How God would use Joseph to save his people, because Joseph uh, would go from uh, one day, from the pit to the palace, from, from misery to ministry, and he would be there in prison, and now he's the prime minister as he interpreted those dreams for Pharaoh. And he would be used to bring Jacob and his family, 70 of them, as the scripture says, into Egypt. And, and there they were saved from the famine. And they would be there for 400 years and in bondage. And then, of course, uh, God spoke to Moses. And Moses would lead the children of Israel out as God would uh, bring the plagues upon Egypt. He turned the waters into blood. And, and all of a sudden, there was the swarms of flies and lice in their territory. And there was hail uh, of rain. And there was the vegetation that was destroyed. And then the death of the firstborn. The children of Israel would leave in orderly ranks, and they would head out into the wilderness towards the mountain of God. And the psalmist continues to talk about God's faithfulness and how God was faithful to keep his covenant with them. And he spread a cloud for a covenant and a fire to give light by night. And that's the psalmist talking about God's faithfulness. Now he talks about God's faithfulness in Psalm 106, even in the midst of the fickleness of the people. You see, the Bible is very honest about the history of his people. The disobedience uh, we will see as their history is mentioned once again. And here the psalmist is really begins with the praises of God, as we read in verse 1, Psalm 106. Praise the Lord, the psalmist writes. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord, and who can declare all his praise? And blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness at all times. And so the psalmist here exalts the Lord for his long-suffering and mercy and remembering, again, his covenant with God's people, even though they were walking in that disobedience. And as we go through this history, it's mostly going to be taking accounts that happened in the book of Exodus when they're in the wilderness wandering, and also some accounts from the book of Numbers. And then as we end the psalm here tonight, we're going to see there's going to be a brief mention of them coming into the land and then eventually going off into captivity as you read about that in Second Kings and then Second Chronicles. But here the psalmist, as he gives thanks, he also remembers to tell us and remind us in verse 3 that blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. And one of the things that I pray for us that we would always remember is that there is blessing when we keep the ways of the Lord. And all throughout the scriptures, we see that that is proclaimed. We've seen that in the book of Psalms, that the psalmist David would write, that teach me your ways, O Lord, for your ways are certain, your ways are sure. And David had a desire to know the ways of the Lord and to walk in those ways. Teach me your way, O Lord. And that's what we see repeated throughout the book of Psalms. And to remember this, that the Lord desires for us to experience life as he is the one who brings eternal life to us. But also Jesus said, I come to bring you abundant life. And what that means is that you and I are brought out of the darkness into the light, as Paul writes in Colossians, as Peter writes in his epistle. And so no longer do we have to be in darkness. You see, sometimes Christians, not just the young people, but all of us, that we can think, if I live a life of holiness, if I live a life of, of righteousness, somehow it's going to be restricted and, and mundane and, and boring. And uh, i got to live in holiness and righteousness. And we don't realize or we forget that the Lord wants to bless our lives so much that we don't have to be in the darkness, that we can live in, in godly wisdom, we can receive guidance and strength, and, and he desires to give us courage and everything that we need that pertains to godliness. That you see the world, if we live after the world, is going to deceive us and, and put us in bondage, and we're going to be defeated, and it just brings death. It just brings death. As Paul would say, that as we're spiritually minded, brings life and peace, but to be carnally minded brings death as Paul would write in the book of Romans. 
And so may we always remember that a better way of living, the right way to experience life the way it was meant to be lived is to live after him in his ways. So the psalmist is expressing that. And then in verse 4, remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have towards your people. O visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance." And so the real benefits from being a Christian, one is, uh, is that we have a heavenly inheritance. We're joint heirs with Christ, as the New Testament declares to us. We saw that not long ago when we were going through Ephesians chapter 1. Remember, Ephesians takes us to the heavenlies, reminds us of all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ that come from him. And verse 11 of Ephesians 1 tells us that in him, in Christ, also we have attained an inheritance. And remember this, when we talk about inheritance, when you talk about earthly inheritance, uh, you know, if, if you receive an inheritance, that's a blessing. But we have an eternal inheritance because we are adopted sons and daughters of God. We can cry out, Abba, Father, which literally means Papa, because we belong to him. In all the riches of Christ, that we are going to be joint heirs with Christ. An eternal inheritance. Remember Colossians chapter 1 that Paul writes, He has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. And the psalmist continues saying, For we have sinned with our fathers, and we have committed iniquity, and we have done wickedly. So the psalmist, he, he says that we have sinned and begins to give an account of when they were in the wilderness when they began to sin against the Lord, even though they saw the faithfulness of the Lord bring them out of Egypt. Even though they saw his mighty works and the plagues that came down and, and to, to, to you know, break Pharaoh and the Egyptians so they could be freed. They committed iniquity. and We've done wickedly. Verse 7, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. And nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. And he led them through the depths and through the wilderness. In verse 10, he saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words and they sang his praises. And so the psalmist reminded us of that story that we read about there in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 14, as is, of course, the children of Israel would leave Egypt. Uh, they would be backed up against the Red Sea and two mountain ranges on both sides. And all of a sudden, they saw the Egyptian chariots coming down on them. And where did they sin and how did they sin? They began to cry to Moses, Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness? It would have been better if we were in Egypt. Uh, we're going to die out here in the wilderness. They began to, to murmur and complain, and they are full of fear, and they began to doubt God's promise that he was going to bring them into the promised land. It began early, and it was Moses, and Moses said to the people, don't be afraid and stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see Today you will see again no more forever, and the Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. I love what Moses says, because the people, they saw the chariots and the, and the dust, and they said, oh no, we're done for. We're going to die. We should have been in Egypt, in the world. We should have stayed there. But they needed to lift their eyes higher and get their eyes on the Lord. And you see, so oftentimes when we feel like the chariots of the world are about ready to run over us and we're trapped and what are we going to do? And Lord, how are you going to work? We need to get our eyes off of the chariots, which is hard to do, and lift them higher and get them on the Lord. And that's what the book of Psalms has been teaching us, hasn't it? that we get our eyes on the Lord and we magnify Him and we, we cry out to Him and He hears us. He is our help. And I, I love here, and a lot of people miss this, because in the next verse when he says, the Lord's going to fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. 
And I don't know, this is my interpretation of it, but here's Moses, he's saying, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, and you'll see the Egyptians no more. And then I picture him as the Lord says, Moses, why are you crying out to me? After he you know, says that, and you'll see them no more. And great man of faith, I, I see him kind of ducking behind the rock saying, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? This looks really bad. Maybe I, I think that interpretation because I know that I can stand here on Sunday and encourage you in the promises of the Lord and in the word of the Lord. And then on Monday morning in my office saying, Lord, what are we going to do? And how is this going to work? And taking me through the very things that I had taught on the day before. And it's so easy that we can forget about the faithfulness of the Lord and His word is true and that we are to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So He opened up the Red Sea and He swallowed up the chariots. I like what verse 10 says, He saved them from the hand of him who hated them, Pharaoh, Egypt. Egypt, of course, again, the Old Testament is a picture of the world and the world hates us, doesn't it? And we've been saved from Egypt. We've been saved from that which hates us and redeemed from the hand of the enemy, Satan, who is called the prince of the power of the air, the God little g of this world. And we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about that on Sunday as we continue in Colossians chapter 2, what Christ has done for us and in disarming principalities and powers and making a public spectacle out of them, triumphing over them. Because Jesus went to the cross and he rose from the grave. And so we have been redeemed and, and we've been brought into salvation and we belong to him. And they sang his praise in verse 12. You remember that as you go into chapter 15, then there's the song of Miriam and they're praising the Lord. But we read in verse 13, they soon forgot his works. And they did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their requests and sent leanness into their soul. They soon forgot his works. I mean, how incredible it would have been to see the Red Sea open up and they crossed on dry land. And it would take a while for two and a half million people to cross. And then all of a sudden the chariots come in. And the waters recede. There's some researchers from Sweden that have done sonar, you know, uh, video down in the depths of the Red Sea where they actually believe, where they found, uh, as they look at the topography of the Red Sea, and this, if you step in the Red Sea, it goes down like a canyon. But there's one place where there's a natural bridge. So they set a camera down there, and there's coral growing what well, looks like a chariot wheel in around circles. Absolutely fascinating as you look at that video. To me, proof that that's where they would cross on that bridge that God had made. And as they did, they would praise God and they're, you know, beating a tambourine and, and singing praises. But only a few days after that, at Mara, that we see that they begin to complain against the Lord. And they would complain against the Lord as this psalmist here is talking about they lusted in the wilderness. They tested God in the desert. And he gave them their requests and sent leanness into their soul. We know the story there of uh, when they came into the wilderness as they forgot about God bringing them out of Egypt. And they would murmur and complain, Numbers chapter 11. Remember the story? It says that they complain against God's provision. In other words, they were tired of the heavenly bread, the manna, the angel food that came from heaven. We're tired of this angel food. We're tired of this manna. And they said, we want meat. And in the opening of that chapter, it says, when they complained against the Lord, it also tells us that it greatly displeased the Lord. It does not please the Lord when we complain against his provision and his blessing that is given to us when we're not content. And they lusted for meat. They, they wanted meat. And so the Lord said, you're lusting for meat? I'm going to give you meat. And all of a sudden, all these quail, hundreds of thousands, millions of them came flying into camp. And it says they had these rods and they hit the quails and they all hit a homer. They all got a homer, it says. 
you know, just about the strike zone right here and knocked it out of the ballpark. <laughs> I know, it's a bad joke. A homer is a measurement in the Old Testament. And they started eating the meat. They were lusting for it so bad. And God sent a plague, and, and it came out of their nostrils in this plague. You know, we go through life, and it's true for me. And we forget about how God has delivered us from the world. The world really has nothing to offer us. And we begin to murmur against God's provision and how he's blessed us. And we begin to lust if we're not careful. And here's the thing about lust. Lust will never satisfy. May we always remember that. The only one that satisfies is the Lord in a close personal relationship with him. But lust will never satisfy. You see, it's like a fire. The harder it burns, the, the more fuel it demands. It just demands more. And we can lust for someone, for something, and even ministers can lust for ministry. If they're not careful, they want more. They want bigger. They want more glorious. Rather than learning to be content, as we are told, as Paul writes to Timothy, and the thing to remember this, and Sue and I were talking about this just the other night as we were praying for the kids and, and remembering, and, and we need to be reminded of this, that the Lord wants the very best for you, for me, for our kids. You see, their security isn't in all these other things. Oh, yes, we want to encourage them to, to continue in school, to do well, um, to be responsible men and women as they grow up. We want to, to not only encourage them, but it's so wonderful. Our kids are all different and to unfold them, to really encourage them to excel in, in their studies and what God is doing in their lives and where they're gifted and all of that, but to always remind them that their security is in the Lord and the Lord wants the very best for you. Can we just trust in that? Because he's already given us the very best, hasn't he? And that is his son. And he who hath not withheld his son from us, will he not surely give us all things? And the implication, as Paul writes there in Romans, is that he will give us all good things. And if he doesn't give us something, then it's not good for us right now. And it says here to psalmist that they didn't wait for the Lord. That they... they they didn't wait for his counsel, that they forgot his power. We live in such a, a, an instant world. We want things now, and we want things, you know, instantly, and instant credit, and instant communication, and instant, you know, uh, coffee at Starbucks, and instant, you know, sausage McMuffin if I have to wait for it on the mornings. I get, you know, bad start to the day, man. We get so impatient, and then we carry that into our spiritual life. And we need to wait for the counsel of the Lord to guide us and direct us and to understand and live every day realizing this, that the Lord wants the very best for you and for your children and to encourage them in that. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So here they lusted. They lusted, and he sent leanness into their souls, as it says. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, verse 13. You see, when we forget about the works of the Lord, it reminds me in the book of Judges, the book of Joshua, such a book of victory, the book of Judges, a book of defeat. And it says that after the death of Joshua, that next generation forgot the Lord and the works of the Lord. That's one of the reasons we come to the communion table, isn't it? And just to remind you, the communion table is for the believer. We have a lot of new people, and people say, can I come to the communion table? I don't belong to the church. I'm not a member of the church. We don't have an official membership role here. If you're a part of the body of Christ, you come to the communion table, and you're welcome to partake of these elements. As Jesus said, do this in what? Remembrance of me, of this wonderful, glorious new covenant that we belong to. 
a covenant of love, of him writing his, his will and his law on the tablets of our hearts. It's no longer just on the tablets of stone. To understand that he allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for redeeming me, bringing me out of Egypt and saving me. And to remember that he is going to do a wonderful thing in our lives as we trust in that. Well, verse 16, then they envied Moses in the camp and Aaron at the saints of the Lord, and the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the faction of Abraham, and a fire was kindled, verse 18, in their company, and the flame burned up the wicked, Numbers chapter 16. A lot of you know the story. The story of Dathan and Abraham and 250 leaders of the children of Israel, and they come against Moses and Aaron, and they said, Moses and Aaron, you think you're so special. Well, we're special too. You take too much upon yourself. We're special. Now, there's a name that's missing here that was the one that really led that rebellion. Remember who it was? Korath. Or the sons of Korah? Or the sons of... Levi. Korah, who was the son of Korath. Now, in the book of Numbers, for you students, let's put our thinking caps on a little bit. Remember Numbers chapter 4? Every priest was a Levite. The priests were the ones, the direct descendants of Aaron. Aaron, your direct descendants are going to be the priests. They were the ones that went into the tabernacle. They would put oil in the seven bulls, the seven-branched menorah, so that light would be there in the holy place as the only source of light. Then there was the altar of incense straight ahead where they would burn incense that represented the prayers of the people. On the right-hand side, there was the shoe bread table right, 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. also speaks that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the light of the world. It speaks about how the Lord hears our prayer as a sweet smell and aroma to him. And the priests were the only ones that were allowed to go in the tabernacle. And then Aaron, the high priest, was the only one that was allowed to go behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat on top of it. And he sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice once a year on the Day of Atonement to make atonement for the nation. And here comes Korah. of the sons of Korath that said, I want to be the high priest. You take too much upon yourself, Aaron. Why do you think you're special? You get to go into the Holy of Holies and the Shekinah glory of God. Now, here's the interesting thing. Numbers chapter 4, as I mentioned to you, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest, right? So there's three families of the Levites. There was the Maronites, the Gershonites, and the third one was the Kohathites. Korah, the sons of Korath. He was a Kohathite. You know what their responsibility was? They had a great ministry. Their ministry was to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. As Aaron would go in and cover it up, then they would back in and they would have the Ark of the Covenant. That box had the poles on and they put the golden poles in and they would carry it on their shoulders as well as the other furnishings, uh, the altar of incense and the shoe bread table and the other things. That was their responsibility. The Maronites and the Gershonites, you know, they got to carry the, the animal skins and the boards and the pegs and the ropes and, you know, you got all the ropes and everything. But they got to carry the furnishings and it wasn't good enough. So Korah is full of anger and envy and jealousy. And we think we're special. And I should be the high priest and challenge Aaron. Moses says, why are you challenging Aaron? And what happened? The earth opens up. Swallows them up. They fall and fires kindled in their families and 250 leaders of the children of Israel. They ended up in the pit. And I'll tell you the truth on this. If we are ones that we live in envy and jealousy and bucking authority and I don't want to listen to anyone and we're not content when God has us and what he's doing in our lives, you're going to end up in the pit. You're just going to be swallowed up with a lot of bad stuff. And that's what ended up happening to these guys. But being content and thankful because he wants to use us, he has a ministry for us. 
He gifts us. He desires for us to be used in the body of Christ. We don't have to be envious about anybody or jealous or try to put somebody down so we can exalt ourselves. And if we ever go that route of I'm going to put you down and I'm going to come against you so I can be elevated, then it will not be blessed by the Lord. You're going to end up being swallowed up in difficulties and strife and division, and you're going to end up in the pit. And that's what happened to these guys. So he says, you rebelled out there. And then verse 19, they made a calf in Horeb. And, oh, I'm trying to finish this chapter. And worshiped the molten image. And thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. And they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. And therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. We know Exodus 32. After they were told in Exodus chapter 19, Moses tell the people to prepare themselves. I'm going to present myself to them, consecrate themselves. For three days they did. And all of a sudden, Moses put boundaries around the base of the mountain there. Don't have anybody go up or surely they will die. And all of a sudden, the mountain shook. It was on fire. And there was lightnings and thunders. And I think it was divine lightnings and thunders. And the voice of God was heard. And the mountain shook. And the people said, Moses, this is too much for us. They, they were terrified. They were afraid of the awesomeness of God showing himself. Moses, you go up on the mountain. And we will do what you tell us to do. So Moses goes up there. I mean, here's a mountain that shook. And smoke and lightnings and thunders and the voice of God being heard. Go up on the mountain, Moses. Forty days later, they said, where's Moses? Where does man of God go? What happened? And so Aaron, the high priest, says, give me your gold. And I'll fashion a golden calf. And this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. Moses is up there on the mountain. And the Lord says, Moses, you need to get down for your people have sinned a great sin. Moses is going... My people, they're your people. <laughs> Stand back, Moses, for I'm going to consume them, and I'll make a great nation out of you. Now put your sandals, or put your feet in his sandals, all right? In his situation. Think about it. He's pastoring two and a half million people that would complain and murmur and want to stone him and come against him leading them in the wilderness, rebellious, dancing around this golden calf, committing all kinds of immorality, fornication, idolatry, all of this. Even his leadership, you know, helped with it. Moses, when he confronted Aaron, he said, Aaron, what's going on? Well, you know these people. He blamed the people. You know these people. They're stiff-necked, and they threw their gold in a fire, and poof, out came a golden calf. It wasn't easy for Moses. And I think about, Lord, what if it was me in that situation? Really, honestly, what would I have said? Moses, I'll make a great nation out of you. Your name will be known to all generations. And the temptation could have been very easy for Moses to step inside and say, go ahead. Go ahead, consume them, Lord. They deserve it. You know, Father Moses sounds really good to me. And then I don't have to deal with these people. But Moses interceded. You see, the Lord knew he wasn't going to consume his people. He was doing a work in Moses, who earlier, not that long before this, had said, me, lead the children of Israel out. Not me, Lord, send somebody else. And tried to make every excuse not to go. And he goes and he brings them out, and it's not easy. And he says, Lord, why? You promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that they would be a great nation. What would the enemies of God say? That you brought them out here in the wilderness just to consume them? 
What about your promise, your covenant that you made with them? And I think as Moses is saying that, that, that the Lord is just, oh, he's blessed because, yes, now you really have a shepherd's heart. And Moses would go down. He would deal with the people. And Aaron, what did you do? And he goes back up on the mountain the next day. In Exodus chapter 32, in verse 32, it tells us that Moses said, Lord, forgive them their sin. They sinned a great sin. He didn't make excuses for them. But if you don't forgive them, blot my name out of the book of life. Isn't that a heart of a shepherd and a heart of love for people? It reminds me of Paul in Romans chapter 9. He said, oh, I wish that for my countrymen they would come to salvation. I would be a curse for that because they had a love for them, for people who persecuted him on his missionary journeys. So for those of us who shepherd your kids and your families and desire to shepherd those that that you minister to at work or have opportunity to, and the people are linked to you in your life or ministry, whatever it might be, to have a heart for them. It tells me that, oh, Lord, give me a heart for people, and I know the Lord's still working that in my life. But then verse 34, two verses later, the Lord says in, in verse 32, or Moses says, you know, blot my name out of the book of life. Oh, Moses, smile on the Lord's face. He's got a shepherd's heart. Moses, I'll deal with those who have sinned against me. That's verse 33. Verse 34, now, Moses, what I want you to do is go to the place that I've shown you. Lead the people there. Lead them to the place that I've spoken to you about. You want to be a shepherd. And shepherding your family, your kids, those linked to you, those in ministry, you have a heart for the people. Second of all, you need to lead them. And you cannot lead them if the Lord isn't speaking to you. If you're not staying close to the Lord, having your devotions to the Lord, that you're reading the word, allowing the Lord to speak to you. Moses, go to the place, lead them to the place that I've spoken to you about. How can we lead anybody? Our children, our families, those that we have the privilege to minister to, this generation if we're not listening to the Lord, if he's not speaking to us, that's why it's so important that we continue in the word of God and having your devotions every day and allowing the Lord to speak to you through the word of God and through the still small voice of the Lord guiding you and directing you. So they worship the golden calf and then in verse 24, then they despised the pleasant land, did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore, he raised up his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, overthrow their descendants among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. God brought them to Kadesh Berea, the border of the promised land. He said, you're going to go in, second year of their exodus, go in and take the cities. I've given you this land. He said that over and over again. I'll drive out the inhabitants. They sent in 40 spies. They come back and they said, great big grapes. Carrying, you know, these, all this fruit and stuff. The land is flowing with milk and honey. Hooray, everybody says. And then 10 of the spies say, but there's a problem. There's giants in the land. Oh. They murmured. They complained. They said, why did you bring us out here, Moses? Our children are going to die in the promised land. You know the story. You know the story that the Lord said, because of your continued disobedience and unbelief, you're going to be out here for 40 years in the wilderness. Here's something that happens, and it can happen to me. See, they wanted to know the facts before they moved out in faith. See, I have a tendency that, Lord, I want to know when I read your word and I hear your commandments and I, I read the precepts, and, and I know you're speaking to me, and I know your promises are given to me. How is it going to work out, Lord? What's going to happen in six months? What's going to happen in a year? What's going to happen in five years? And the Lord doesn't give me the six-month, one-year, five-year plan. He says, trust in me. Now, I'm not saying that as we are making decisions on what direction to go, as we're praying and seeking the Word of God, that we're not doing our homework, that we're not you know, we don't want to be presumptuous. We don't want to be foolish. 
But oftentimes, I know for me, I want to know the facts. Because if I don't know the facts, I start to fret and worry and get upset. And how's it going to work? And Lord, it just seems impossible. There's a lot of giants that i got to face. And what ends up happening is our spiritual life becomes dry and barren. And we need to hear the voice of the Lord and know the word of the Lord for how we are to live And when we say, Lord, I don't know how it's going to work, but here's a promise given to me, and I believe your word and step out in faith. Because he is faithful, and that's what the psalmist is saying here. We don't have time to finish it tonight. But maybe tonight there's some of you that hear that the Lord's telling you to step out in faith. He's spoken to you. You've read his word, and you're wondering, Lord, how are you going to bring healing in this marriage? Lord, how are you going to help me in my provision? Lord, how are you going to work in this area? I've read your word. You've given your promise, and we want to know the facts. And he's saying, I want you to walk in faith because I will be faithful to my word given to you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much. And, uh, This is such a rich chapter that we'll finish next time, Lord, but we thank you for the lessons that are here. And, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of going through your word. And we can, Lord, know that you want the very best for us because you're faithful to your word, and what your word declares is that you will not withhold anything from us. And so, Father, I do pray as we prepare our hearts for the communion table, that we will remember that we've been redeemed from Egypt, redeemed from the enemy. You brought us out of the world, out of the darkness into your marvelous light because Jesus Christ went to a cross and he died for our sins. And Lord, may we never forget that wonderful work as Jesus said, I've done the work, I've paid the price, it is finished. He cried that out right before he breathed his last. And our sufficiency and our salvation is found in Jesus. So wonder Paul said, we come preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach that tonight before we come to the table. For anyone who might be listening to this message that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, he loves you, he's provided salvation for you, forgiveness of sin, because we have all sinned. And it separated us from God. But Jesus went to the cross for you because he loves you. And he died on that cross shedding his blood, beaten, scourged, going through the sufferings, a lamb that was led to the slaughter because of his love for you, to make provision for salvation because he rose from the grave. He defeated sin and death, and he's alive. And he says, come. Believe in me and call upon me and you will be saved. Believe in who he is and what he did for you. Believe in that you are a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Do that now. Today is the day of salvation. If that means anything to anyone here tonight, that you pray, Jesus, I come to you, a sinner. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. And I believe in my heart that you died for me and you rose again and you're alive. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior and help me to live for you, to know you, to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.